Hello and welcome to the Club Chimera Martial Arts Podcast. My name is Jamie Club, and my intention with these shows is to discuss various issues in the world of martial arts and self-protection that have inspired my teaching, training and writing. If you're interested in the material I cover, please check out the show notes at the end of this program, and also my website, clubchimera.com. This episode is part two of The Way of the Ape. Long-time listeners will know that I don't do much in terms of recapping previous episodes. These two shows are quite literally one big essay that run over its running time, even with edits. So if you haven't listened to the previous episode, please check it out now. We're discussing how evolutionary theory applies to martial arts subculture. He said after telling everybody that he doesn't do recaps. This and other inconsistencies will follow. I hope you enjoyed the show. Most individuals accept that some evolution has occurred in the formation of their martial art. However, one particular myth holds that this evolution stops reaching a point of perfection that subsequent students and teachers must strive to emulate. This is part of the appeal to tradition or antiquity argument I mentioned earlier. There is a time and a place to say that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But this cannot really be applied to something as variable and personal as martial arts. Change is inevitable with the most stable of material items, let alone something as subjective and as individual as fighting expression. To this end, progressive traditionalists sometimes distance themselves from traditional martial artists that they would define as classicists. Going by this definition, a martial arts classicist believes they are preserving their art and training in their art as closely to its original point as possible, that they are training as their founder trained. For them, evolution might be seen as a pollution or dilution of what is pure and perfect about their martial art. Going back to the metaphor of biology that pervades this episode, the principles of these teachers and students more closely resemble the status quo eugenicist or animal fancier. Those martial artists who could be loosely categorised as progressive traditionally, progressive modernists, or even postmodernists, are often quick to spot the obvious flaw in the classicist beliefs. A martial art is not a physical element. Those who have heard my interview with podcaster and martial arts teacher T.W. Smith on his excellent Kung Fu podcast will have witnessed my evasive action when tasked with defining a martial art. One of the many problems here is that a single martial art isn't even an idea or a single concept. Usually, it is a group of ideas codified by an individual or individuals and shaped by environmental, cultural and technological influences. Throughout a teacher's lifetime, they will have made changes to how they taught and trained their art. Some of these changes would have been determined by a range of other new influences. One has only to look at the history of karate or Aikido to see that the origins of many established and recognised traditional schools were not just modernised spin-offs of the original system, but also attempts by some senior teachers to retain the old ways when the founders decided to make changes. The irony here is that these martial arts reactionaries never really recaptured these perceived golden years. Rather, they created another new expression of their base art. All is not lost for the martial arts fancier metaphor, however. Although we can see that change happens in the short and long term despite the classicist's best efforts, controlled development is at the heart of progressive martial arts. The great purposeful changes in martial arts can be traced back to the intelligent cross-training, drawing upon varied outside experiences, and the application of critical thinking. Many martial artists proudly consider their personally developed arts to be hybrids, 
and I knew one very switched on teacher who happily took on the animal breeder metaphor with the title the mongrel fighting system. Virtually all martial arts systems are a product of cross training to some degree. This cross training does not just entail other distinct combat arts but also experience and knowledge taken from a range of other disciplines. Change is not only inevitable, it is inexorable. Teachers not only change due to new ideas and other influences, their own physiology has an immediate impact on the way they express and transmit the teachings of their art. Smaller people find ways that help them fight better against larger people. Carlos Gracie Sr. and Helio Gracie took the propaganda of exported Japanese judo and jiu-jitsu to extreme lengths in their focus on niwaza or ground fighting. Just as biological anatomy is sometimes triggered to make some remarkable adaptations when reacting to trauma, so can injuries be seen as hugely productive agents of change in martial artists. Bill Superfoot Wallace, the sport, karate and American kickboxing champion, is a celebrated example of this happening. The experience of adapting and overcoming an injury can and should lead to better education for the individual that might also provide insight into other areas over training commonly neglected. However, the flip side of these physiological influences is that you can get a highly personalised style. A discussion on teaching deserves a separate show. However, for now, let's agree that a truly accomplished teacher does not simply work to create clones of his students modelled in his own unique traits, but seeks to encourage their own unique development based on the robust principles of his art. Many progressive traditionists make this point about art founders, masters and pioneers of the past, explaining that most were not interested in imitation. No matter what ridiculous lengths martial artists might go in order to keep their art in the time bubble, they will never practice that system in the same context and in the exact same way as the person or people they are trying to emulate. Even if we discard the uniqueness of personal expression that are often part of martial arts that venerate lineage to a single founder, we have to consider changing environments. The older the martial arts school, the greater exposure to dramatic change. Combat sports change all the time in line with society, technology and influences coming in from other sports. For more on how athletes have adapted and taken advantage of the unique qualities of sport conditions, please see my extra podcast and essay, Playing the Combat Game. Even traditional folk sports that do their best to continue unbroken traditions have knowingly or unknowingly brought in elements that would change their sport from that practiced by their predecessors. War-based arts, which would have continually been modified or adapted throughout their active use, will have started incurring changes from the moment a particular skill set such as swordsmanship or equestrian archery, became obsolete on the battlefield. Both traditional sports and traditional military arts will also have been at the mercy of the culture and types of people who would be responsible for their continued existence. As popularity wanes for many traditional combat sports that stubbornly refuse to modernise their outward appearance, so their pool of competitors shrinks to that of the part-time amateur or enthusiast who lives in a far less hardened society than that of his sporting ancestors. The Sengoku Samurai, whose main purpose was to wage war against his daimyo's enemies in civil war-torn Japan, would have been training in his martial arts quite differently and with different motivations to his late Edo period civil servant counterpart. For all my modernist leanings, I am a fan of history, and my family comes from a small culture steeped in its own charming tradition, so I'm not without sympathy for those who either wish to recreate or preserve the past. However, we should always be mindful of our own modern limitations. Just as the realistic traditionalist, with his unbroken lineage, has to appreciate that his art has always changed, 
Those who seek to resurrect a dead art have to also appreciate that they'll never be able to truly imitate what has passed. Take, for example, historical fencing that little resembles the Olympic sport we know today. There are those that are trying to recreate full contact dueling in the Renaissance style. The problem here is that we know many of the competitions that have emerged from this enthusiastic martial arts subculture do not resemble actual fencing duels. They are relatively new sports inspired by the past. They are high-octane sports that incorporate tactics from 20th century fencing such as the flesh. This advanced form of lunge involves running into an opponent with a sword. Existing footage we have from actual duels still being fought during the early part of the 20th century as well as various accounts of these fights describe very defensive competitions. A running attack against an opponent in a sword dueling situation is described as the tactics of a maniac according to the world-famous duelist and western martial artist Colonel Thomas Hoyer Monstery. Harking back to my Play in the Combat Game Extra podcast, the flesh tactic demonstrates how the conditions of a sport greatly influence how participants develop their fight. Having stated the unstoppable nature of evolution, which would be supported by those who frequently argue with extreme preservationists, and classicists of martial arts, we turn our attention to the nature of evolution. As far as modern biology and mainstream science is concerned, Darwin won the core evolutionary theoretical battle. Physical evolution in living plants and animals has and continues to occur according to natural selection. Many modern martial artists happily embrace the idea of survival of the fittest, in part I fear because of the interpretation of the word fittest. The phrase is often incorrectly interpreted to mean only the strong will survive, which has been taken on by an elitist corruption of Darwinism and then applied to philosophy. This is where the appeal to novelty logical fallacy comes into play. In the mind of some modern martial artists, the newest systems have to be better simply because they are an improvement on what has passed. After all, we live in a time when our technology information and knowledge has exceeded any time before. Since the Middle Ages until the present day, it's easy to see a steep incline of progress. Furthermore, each century has seen the rate of our progress accelerating, and it's showing no sign of slowing down. The theatre of battle has made huge technological improvements over this time, and the world of sport continues to produce faster and stronger athletes. It seems to follow that from these two worlds, that martial arts have evolved into better systems. However, natural selection, as we've discussed, isn't orthogenesis. The strongest do not always survive, rather it is those that happen to be best adapted to a changing environment. Consider some of the most impressive animals to walk the earth, swim in the sea or rule the skies. The gigantic cousins of the crocodile, the elephant, the shark and the pelican gave way to smaller and physically weaker species that were better suited to the changing environment. For all the species that have changed for the better, there are many others that evolve themselves into extinction. As we have seen, mutations are not always favourable. The evolution by natural selection of a martial art might come at a cost that is against the system's original intentions. A more commercial school that tones down the sparring and pressure testing is likely to have a wider audience. The club that has more money to pour into its advertising, has effective marketing strategies and attractive branding, is far more likely to attract more customers to the proverbial blood, sweat and tears gym down the road. Here the argument might be said that commercial gyms won't keep its customers if their product doesn't stand up. Well, we have only two things to consider here. Firstly, if his marketing really is good, then the teacher will know that he has to offer in his club will be what his customers really want, even if it isn't really what they need. 
There are far more martial artists in attending classes the world over happily buying into delusion or simply not caring whether or not their martial art has any pragmatic value than genuine realists and critical thinkers. Secondly, most people who start hobbies like martial arts don't stay anyway. In a society that becomes safer, it is quite likely that ineffective martial art will thrive. That is the price of peace, just ask the samurai and the Spartans. Unfavourable mutations can be seen in martial arts systems that buy wholesale into the appeal to novelty. Change for change's sake has happened across the martial arts world and this quickly becomes stylization. The need to brand a system leads creative minds to justify various techniques and drills based on reinventions of violence. Resisting the appeal to novelty or the bandwagon fallacy does not mean that one should not update one's knowledge. Far from it. At the core of every good system has been individuals who researched and sought to improve. Continued professional development or CPD is expected by all professionals. The world changes in many different ways and we at least need to be aware of these changes. The scientific method requires that everything be tested. This research and exposure to new experiences should often reinforce some robust old ideas and disprove others. Maintaining critical thinking and self-awareness are good safeguards against changing for the sake of changing or stubbornly sticking to outmoded concepts. Evolution by natural selection is a fairly reasonable way to look at the way life changes, not only in a biological sense but within society, culture and psychology. However, martial artists should be aware what they mean when they use it as a metaphor to describe their system in a positive way, as we struggle to enforce our own changes and to progress our training and teaching underneath it all, there are many other unpredictable factors that force humans to adapt or die out. The great scientific sceptic Steve Novella brilliantly described the core of Darwinian theory as not a march to progress or an ascending line, but rather a very messy tree with branches sprouting out in different directions, some giving birth to more branches and others abruptly terminating. This is something we need to accept about the way martial arts subculture and the disciplines within it have changed and will continue to change. Everything does not automatically improve over time and we cannot expect to have complete control over the way martial arts will change in the future. We might strive to be progressive and that can appear to be positive so long as we are headed in a favourable direction. But one thing we have learnt from evolution is that what might be a favourable direction today can abruptly alter tomorrow. For now, be disciplined, be focused, be critical and try to be objective. But also, be prepared to embrace the chaos. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to catch both scheduled episodes and special bonus material. I have a special fun extra episode coming up soon featuring some martial arts luminaries as guests that you're not going to want to miss. I also have some planned workshops coming up in Oxfordshire, England. Those who regularly read my lesson reports on the website blog have an opportunity to train with me in person and try out my coaching methodology. There'll be limited numbers in order to ensure I can give the best individual service for this type of event. So get in contact. Thanks again for your continued support. Please send in any feedback either by email or across my social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube or on my Google business page. If you enjoyed the show, I'd be very grateful if you could give it a rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, TunedIn or any other podcast sharing platform you use. Our next scheduled episode is The Way of the Rabbit, where we'll be looking at a collection of several self-protection skills. Thanks for listening.